Hello everyone, I am Victor Aguilar, and sitting right next to me are Harpar Dotir and our guest, Rosie B. We're in for an extremely exciting episode. A couple of weeks ago, the European Commission released a report on investor citizenship and residence schemes in the European Union, known popularly by their more polemic, much cooler, mouth-watering media-given nickname of Golden Visas. Now, the EU is worried about these schemes, and so is more than one member state, albeit for different reasons, and we'll tell you all about it. This means we're going to be talking about citizenship, gold, money, investments, sovereignty, money laundering, tax evasion, crime, more money, power, corruption, money, and law. That's all? In short, <laughs> it's the perfect recipe for a spicy episode of EU Untangled. Ah, saucy. You may remember the old popular saying that there are things that you cannot buy. Friendship, experiences, memories, love, happiness. Well, turns out there is one thing you can actually buy, and that is EU citizenship. So I guess MasterCard can add that to their promos. But let's start at the beginning. What the heck is going on? Well, let's say in the 1980s, we started to see a practice in the world. It started in the Caribbean where countries wanted to attract investors by selling them essentially citizenship. So in exchange for money or some kind of an investment in their country, you would get a passport. Now, this started apparently in 1984 in St. Kitts and Nevis. Fast forward to the financial crisis of 2008, and this started to become a widespread common practice in the EU. So today you have about 20 EU member states that have a program where investors essentially put some kind of money or do some kind of an investment in their government, their economy. And for exchange, you can either get a visa and citizenship, full-blown citizenship, or you can get a permanent residency permit. And now the EU is saying that this is problematic. Right. And that means that when you get to, um, when you invest the right amount of money, you either get a golden passport, meaning a citizenship, yeah. or a golden visa, meaning an investor residence. Yes, indeed. Okay, cool. And why is the EU worried about this thing? Like, why did they decide to release a report? Well, I think that their most key concerns right now at this moment, at least according to the report and what they've been saying in the media, the EU Parliament, uh, the European Commission, etc., is that they're afraid that this is a gateway for corruption into the EU, that this is sort of undermining some of the security measures that the EU has put in place regarding third nationals. And essentially, this could be a foot in the door for organized crime within the EU. They're saying... If you are going to bring third nationals into the EU and allow them to be a citizen in your country and then automatically benefit from the perks of being an EU citizen, there should be stronger checks in place. We have some examples of corruption scandals directly related to these golden visa schemes, but this citizenship in exchange for money opens up the gateway for all kinds of problems, including tax evasion, evading justice... Money laundering. All kind of cheeky monkeys doing all kind of cheeky things exactly. in the EU when they're not supposed to. But let's just go back a couple of steps and uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what these golden visas and these golden passports are and who are awarding them. So Cyprus, Malta and Bulgaria are the three EU member states that actually grant you citizenship in exchange for money. Now, the rest of the countries, the rest of the member states that are also involved in those schemes, 20 in total, they would award you permanent residency in exchange for money. Now, that does not mean that you become an EU citizen, but it does grant you some rights. The most important one being that you have access to the Schengen area. And this is uh, seen as problematic because you're essentially allowing people to travel freely within the continent without the normal kinds of security and checks that you would have. So basically the thing here is then that uh, because the European Union is a union, there are certain rights that any citizen of any of the 28 EU member states uh, have. 28 guys. Oh, soon, soon to be 27. <laughs> 28 um, still seem to be I'm sorry, can we just uh, take a moment to say that Rose is a citizen of the UK? And she likes to be called Rosie. She likes right. to be I'm, called Rosie. I'm Scottish, right? So uh, we're, we're clinging on. Right. You're doing what you can to stay 
right. in the European so, Union. Right, so among us three, I'm currently the only EU citizen, but uh, that's flashing before my eyes. I think it's Let's hope that it doesn't change, though. very much at risk, right? You never know what you have until you lose it. <gasps> oh my god, that was what I was going to say. I came up with a jingle to advertise EU citizenship, and it was going to be EU citizenship, because you don't know what you got till it's gone. Oh my god, you just... Well, because I was going to say like the totally remainers, true. if there's another people's right. vote, they could totally take my jingle because I think that that's what hap- what's happening after the vote. Hey, I think honestly that things can still go right. Like He's I an think, optimist. yeah, yeah. He's an optimist. Uh, no. Well, when there is nothing, you know, left out there, I think being an optimist is the courageous thing to do. And I okay. did, yeah, and I didn't come up with that. No, that was uh, that was that was a Mexican <laughs> filmmaker. Anyways, let's let's go back to these three member states that have been singled out by the European Commission. Yeah. Those are Bulgaria, yeah. Cyprus, and Malta. Right. In each of those countries, you can invest a certain amount of money, and in exchange for that money, you basically become a national of one of those three countries. Also, funnily enough, the three of them started with these golden schemes once they were already part of the European Union. And apparently one thing that the Commission is not happy about is that they advertise these schemes as an exciting possibility to get access to all the wonders in the European Union. In Bulgaria, you just need like an overall investment of 1 million euros. And then uh, you have to show that you have had a residence permit for at least one year. Whereas a normal person needs to prove a five-year residence And can I jump in here? I don't know exactly the history of the Bulgarian, Cyprus and Maltese schemes, but I do know that after the EU in 2014 told them that issuing the citizenship just in exchange for money without any previous sort of residence in the country was problematic, they decided to say, okay, you you have to be a resident at least for one year before you can get citizenship. Now, they've totally circumvented this sort of rule because they essentially, Malta has something called e-residency, so you residency, never, electronic yeah, residency, electronic residency. So even though they changed the rules, essentially, you can still become a citizen without ever have set foot in the country. Yeah, because your digital self yeah. lives in the system. Yeah. It's in the matrix. Yeah, as long as Corruption you're in the matrix. Corruption going digital. Oh, man. <laughs> but uh, something important, I think, to, to clarify is that uh, how are we actually getting the, the passport or the, or the visa, right? So it's not about going onto an online shop and buying it. It's usually about investing in something yeah. right so we're talking about investing in businesses or investing in government bonds so it's not yes. exactly going to you know it's not a direct transaction mm-hmm. as we were mentioning before bulgaria is 1 million euros cyprus is 2 million euros and they also require you to have some ownership in cyprus to own something there yeah. like some uh, immovable property yeah. and in malta malta is the cheapest you just need an overall investment of 800,000 euros. But let's clarify, though, that, okay, even though these are a huge amount of monies that we're talking about in the context of these three countries, the rest of them have sort of been lowering and lowering the requirements to attract investors. So now we have the lowest uh, rate that you have to invest in Croatia, which is 100,000 euros. And in Greece, it's sort of, you can negotiate the terms. So it's it feels like sort of a race to the bottom where now the different member states, they are competing with each other to offer the best deals for this kind of permanent residency or citizenship. But here, when you mention Croatia, you're talking then about the golden visas. This right, is not about residence. golden passport, but this is just the uh, right to be in the country. And you yeah. mentioned 100,000 euros, but it's actually lower than that. It's yeah. 13,500 euros in Croatia compared to over 5 million euros in Slovakia or uh, Luxembourg. Mm. You can see that there is no homogeneous distribution of these schemes no, no. across EU member states. But let me add one thing. I mean, in the report, we're addressing all of the 20 schemes. I mean, even though you're not becoming a full-blown citizen, having permanent residency does give you extensive rights. And it is also a pathway to citizenship. So if you have already had permanent residency, it's highly likely that you will get a fast track to citizenship. So even though it's not as bad as those three countries, it's still quite bad to grant permanent residency to somebody in exchange for money. I read a fun fact about the UK and their golden visa scheme. The requirement is one million pounds of investment. It's two million, actually. It's been recently changed in December. This is amid some some real claims of... Uh, corruption and that we're facilitating money laundering and so on so so in the UK it's called tier one visa scheme so yeah. that's for uh, you know high value investors um, and this was actually suspended in December 
there were some claims, particularly from Transparency International, really raising uh, issues that we were not at all checking the source of this wealth. So right. you can come in as a very wealthy person, invest a couple of million pounds in exchange for a residency. Let's say it's not a passport. I think they're taking some steps now to try and backpedal on this because a couple of years ago, um, when our current Prime Minister, that's Theresa May, was Home Secretary, they took some steps to very significantly relax the conditions. Um, and they saw a really significant increase in the numbers of applications and the numbers of applications which were granted. What I found interesting is that, as you said correctly, the minimum amount of investment was 2 million euros back in the good old days, or golden days, I should say. But then if you invested 5 million, the amount of time that you would have to wait in order to become a uh, citizen of the UK would be reduced from five to three years. And then if you invested 10 million pounds, it would only take you two years. So you see, the more money you get, the faster you can skip the line. There are also some uh, requirements around not only the what you invest, but the amount of time you have to spend in the country, which is quite yes. common across a lot of the different schemes. So when the, when the UK began to offer golden visas for a lower price, essentially, not only in terms of the financial, but really in terms of what are the requirements. And um, they increased the, the number of days you could be out of the country per year to 180 days. Now, under the proposed revisions, that's going to be halved to 90 days. That's still three months of the year that you don't have to be in the country. The main assumption, I think, behind these golden schemes is that a financial investment is a bond that is strong enough and sufficient enough between the applicant and the country where that person is getting his or her citizenship. Because usually what you need to prove in order to become a citizen of any state is that there is a significant bond between you and that country. And that bond can be because of marriage, because you were born there, because you have been fully integrated in the culture, uh, because you speak the language or you know, that there is a, something that speaks to you about that country and about your fellow citizens. But when it comes down to simply paying for your citizenship, then uh, you don't even need to prove that you speak the language or that you have been integrated, that you have resided in that country. Yeah. You just need to show the money and yeah. pay the bills. And this is where the EU disagrees with these schemes because they say that under international law and under EU convention, paying for this citizenship or residency permit does not constitute a genuine connection to the country. So the legal argument there is that international law stipulates that there has to be some kind of genuine bond, mutual obligations and connections between the state and the individual, and that yeah. simply offering up a bunch of cash does not constitute a genuine connection. Actually, the Court of Justice of the European Union has sort of defined what nationality implies mm -hmm. uh, in a ruling. And they say it's a special relationship of solidarity and good faith between a member state and its nationals, and also the reciprocity of rights and duties. And this bond of nationality in the report that was issued by the commission, they, they further specified that it's traditionally based on a genuine connection. And I'm yeah. quoting the report there, with the people of the country or with the country itself. And that could be by descent, origin or marriage, by birth in the country or prior residence in the country for a meaningful duration. And this is super important because even though the EU does not have competence to legislate these kind of schemes, the functionalities of the EU does stipulate that to grant the citizenship, you can have your own system to handle that, but it has to take into account EU law and conventions. Yes. So here they're arguing, okay, you can go about this as, as you want, fine, but there are certain values that we have in place that you have to abide to, and your golden visa schemes is a infriction upon these conventions. Which is still very vague to a certain extent, because... Yeah. We were mentioning before the rights that any EU citizen has. If you're a citizen of one of the 28, soon to be 27, EU member states, then you have a right to free movement within yeah. the European Union. Uh, you can benefit from the free trade of goods, yeah. services, yeah. and you can even stand for election at the European level. You know, you can run to become a member of the European Parliament. You can uh, also stand for election at local elections. And, and you, you can, can also vote. You can right. vote. It's about being represented and more than you're that. represented as well. It's selling democracy, essentially. It's essentially selling the yes. right to vote. And also, funnily enough, a little fact that I dug up, if you're an EU citizen and you write a request or a question to the Commission, they have to reply if you're an EU citizen. 
in the language that you choose. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it does well, crunch you some. Of the EU languages, yeah. Right? yeah. Rose yeah, knows yeah. a thing or two about that. Yeah. <laughs> But can I then jump to something that's not really mentioned explicitly in the report by the commission, but I think it's super important it, and it has to do, okay, beyond just investments, dodging the rule of law in your own country, money laundering, all of that, essentially, is not this communication also about safeguarding democracy in Europe? Because we know we have the European elections coming up. I know that this is going to seem far-fetched, but they do, um, in the 2014 debate that they had in the European Parliament, they also alluded to this. Um, we have Steve Bannon now in Brussels trying to have his movement here, trying to organize the far right in Europe to gain more power in European elections. And he has thankfully failed <laughs> quite spectacularly but the reason that he has failed is that he cannot directly support these parties or interfere in the elections and the reason is that he has he's a foreign national and he is a foreign organization so if you break it down to its elements even though it might seem like a far-fetched threat still you can theorize that if you're granting citizenship to wealthy russians etc that you're sort of they get foot in the door into the political system and they get political influence well i think it's important to say that the evidence shows it's not really far-fetched at all mm. so if you look a bit beyond the eu you mentioned at the start that some of the most uh, famous countries for selling or commodifying citizenship are in the caribbean so yep. one of these is saint kitts Yes, um, and that's the really first one, 1984. They started this whole thing. They mess. invented the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Right, so they were really embroiled in a in a scandal in recent years with a company called Henley and Partners. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, I've heard which, a thing or two about those. So they consult governments on how to best commodify and sell uh, visas, residence or, or citizenship. And they have been strongly related to Cambridge Analytica among and it's a really? sister, it's sister company SLC so I believe it was a British select committee heard some evidence saying that this company was uh, influencing countries based on the the commercial interests of Henley and mm. partners who indeed wanted to be able to to uh, advise more and sell citizenship so for example in a uh, I believe it's in St Kitts Henley and partners would gain twenty thousand dollars for every proved citizenship application wait a second wow. so right. th does that mean that the country was paying this company a lump sum for each citizenship application that they got right so the would-be citizen would uh, pay up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars and the company, to Henley and Partners? No, to so they would make the investment. Yeah. So I'm a I'm an ultra rich person. I know it's hard to believe, but but mm. imagine it. And I would pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars in investment or government bonds, etc. And because this scheme was largely facilitated by Henley and Partners, they would get a twenty thousand uh, dollar commission. Let's yeah. say. Did you know that Henley and Partners actually helped establish Malta's individual investor program? No. They advised the Maltese <laughs> government on how to put it together and oh, what the conditions, what the necessary conditions were for Malta to run a transparent and efficient investor uh, scheme. But we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. But I think that you touch upon an interesting point here. And I did do a quick internet Googling uh, just to see what came up when I Googled golden visas, some keywords. This is a whole entire a market, industry. Right? And I think that the remarkable thing I saw is that these websites, they look like travel agencies. Yeah. It's just like offering these kind of deals, like get a citizenship in this country, buy this beachfront property. This is a whole investment. I think that they say like 10 trillion dollar industry a year. It's ridiculous. And I had I no idea that... Okay, anyways, a lot of money, regardless. <laughs> yeah, more money than I will ever see yeah. in my entire life. And I think that's that why you won't get any golden visa. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that the European institutions are very worried about is that by putting citizenship up for grabs for those people who actually have the money, who can afford them, uh, this might open a door to corruption, money laundering, and a situation where you cannot trace where money flows are going or coming from. Right, because ideally what we want states to be asking is what kind of investment do we want? Exactly. Where is it yeah. coming from and yes. what, is it, uh, you yeah. know, what is it benefiting yeah. Yeah. elsewhere yeah. in the world? But once you allow a corrupt individual to enter the EU through one country, then that individual can do whatever he or she pleases in any of the EU member states. Yeah. And what I want to mention here briefly is that states have always had the right to grant citizenship to individuals, 
you know, we have athletes or, you know, brilliant scientists or something getting citizenships or even for economic interest. The EU definitely does not have an issue with, in certain cases, uh, an individual being granted the citizenship based on some kind of national interest or social interest, whatever. The problem that I think they have with this is it's systematic and it's not being judged on a case-by-case basis in terms of how much can this person contribute to society. And that's the difference. And I think it goes a little bit beyond that. I think the EU is also worried about lack of transparency in this process. There is a lot of lack of transparency in this process. It's sure. like as long as you can afford your citizenship, as long as you're able to pitch in a million or two, then you are granted all the rights that any other person in my country has. Yeah. And I don't care who you are. I don't know where the money is coming from. And they do conduct interviews, but they specify in the report that these interviews do not test you any kind of knowledge or language knowledge or anything like that. So I pretty much think that it goes like this, uh, show me the money and it, the, you do and then say, okay, granted. Yeah. So it's very limited. We're, we're actually talking about Henley and Partners and I mentioned briefly, that they had helped establish Malta's individual investor program. Uh, so I went on their website, and they proudly say that countries such as Austria, Antigua, Barbuda, Malta, and St. Kitts and Nevis, and I'm quoting them here, they have schemes sufficiently clear in law and processes and have sufficient reputation and transparency to be considered in the top tier of citizen by investment programs. Now, sounds pretty great, except for the fact that the OECD, the Organization for the Economic Cooperation and Development, lists three of these citizen-by-investment programs among the top schemes that pose a high risk to the integrity of the OECD's common reporting standard, meaning that these schemes can potentially be misused by individuals to hide their assets offshore. So this means that at least Malta's scheme and also Cyprus's is listed there don't have the necessary security requirements or the security checks that they need to have in place in order to make sure that private individuals, third country investors, are not getting these citizenships in order to hide their assets or to evade taxes. Speaking of Malta and speaking of the devil, you might remember that in 2017, I think it was in October, that there was this Maltese reporter, Daphne Caruana Galizia, yeah. who was murdered in Malta right in the middle of her investigation in which she was researching, you know, some offshore companies that apparently belong to people very close to the Maltese Prime Minister and that were receiving payments connected to Malta's citizenship by investment scheme. Yeah, there are definitely uh, some scandals that have been exposed in recent years related to these Golden Bees uh, schemes. And I think in Cyprus, they uncovered that criminals or people who have been uh, allegedly connected to corruption were being granted these uh, visas on a large scale. And then I think that, well, one interesting example is that now some MEPs have tried to get these uh, list of the people who actually are being granted these Golden Visas and they're not succeeding. So right. there's a lot of secrets involved there and you know where there's secrecy yeah. and we you know say, then right, it makes in, you question in, in malta's defense they are the only country that publishes the list of those who have been uh, ah. naturalized by an investor citizenship scheme whereas other countries that are offering it decline to and in yeah. fact the thing you're t speaking about i think is in cyprus was a uh, this list it was, was leaked. leaked and following that um Ana Gomez, who is an MEP, she went to uh, Portuguese authorities and said, in light of this scandal, you know, I want to look into this. Can you please release the li list of people that you have granted these golden visas? And they say, no, we cannot do that because of general data protection regulation, which is ironic because oh, wow. that is EU legislation. Right. Yeah. And speaking of irony, it's at EU level. I mean, I think there was a, a Dutch MEP um, who noted something which I, I think we should all agree on which is that a lot of these citizenship um, or visa schemes have been really on the rise mm -hmm. just as we are making a fortress out of Europe so there are many measures to close down yes. borders so we say close down on this side but we'll mm -hmm. roll the red carpet out for you guys in the back right? yeah yeah and this is just fundamentally ethically questionable because essentially it says where we have an issue of refugees and asylum seekers trying to come to Europe and people are saying well there's no room for you but if you have a lot of money then there you go you can walk straight in and it just it makes it very questionable ethically how you can justify that some people can buy this right where you are fighting for your life and you cannot get the same right you know and even now that we have this sort of 
competition where it appears at least that the standards are being lowered, the amounts requested are being lowered, it almost equates to what is the value of a human life. And another question here is that most of these people that are getting these golden visas, they will invest in property. But who is to say that an immigrant who gets granted residency or citizenship would not over his lifetime contribute more to the economy rather than some wealthy oligarch that purchases a villa somewhere on the beach. Right, something I, I noticed that a lot of the areas of investment which are the most popular, like luxury property, it's about money circulating within circles of money, right? Yep. So you invest mm. in luxury industries, hotels, uh, apartments, and so on, beachside apartments, right? Um, and this is not to benefit the wide majority of your population, exactly. right? And I think that in the Malta, in Malta, when they tried to sort of adapt the scheme a bit following criticism from the EU, they said, okay, we'll have this 12-month residency permit, which turned, which turned out to be an e-residency permit. So, okay, that's questionable. But then they have language like, and then we encourage you to also invest in, you know, wider society and charity or NGOs or infrastructure or something like that. But essentially, you can just buy a nice little beachfront property for yourself. The contractors or builders or whatever, they get the money. They are also encouraged to use that money to contribute to economic growth, but it's always encouraged. So I would be curious to see how much of these 25 billion euros that have poured into the EU via these golden visa schemes have actually sort of contributed to wider society or benefited the taxpayers in a larger sense. Yeah. Also because it's just funny to think about these three countries, Cyprus, Malta and Bulgaria, being amongst the EU member states are the least economically developed. They are not France, they are not Germany, they are not the UK. So their economies are not as big as those of other countries. I was just running some numbers with the information that was at hand. And uh, apparently in Malta, they cap the number of golden passports that they can issue every year at 1,800. And they have plans to increase it to another 1,800. But just assuming that they are doing this because they actually get so many applications that they need to have you know, more passports available for these very wealthy people. And if they sell each of these passports at 800,000 euros, it means that annually they're getting a foreign investment of 1.4 billion euros, which if we take into account their GDP, their annual GDP at 11 billion euros, this golden scheme makes up 12% of their GDP. Yeah, and this brings us to the point that, of course, uh, you know, member states are doing this because it's profitable. They wouldn't be doing this if it's there profitable. was not kind of economic yeah. benefit to it. So you could maybe there is an economic argument as to why you should permit this. Why not attract investors to the EU and to your country? Is that so bad? I mean, money talks. Right. I think particularly in the case of these smaller states, to play devil's advocate, if I can look at myself as a state and see what do I have to offer, what can I monetize here? And we would hope the governments are thinking with in mind, how can we benefit our citizens, right? So um, going quickly out of the EU, back to the example of St. Kitts, uh, much of the reason this came about, it's, it's a post-British empire country which relied on sugar trade, which collapsed. And they had a passport which was still, um, you know, as an artifact of, of British imperialism, had access to many parts of the world. So yeah. I think, can you really blame smaller countries for trying to capitalize on, uh, you know, misfortunes of geopolitics and history, which have led them to be underdogs? The fundamental issue here and the issue that the EU has with this whole thing, if it was just them granting um, visas or citizenships or passwords in their own country. People would say, you know, you do you, whatever. They could solve this issue, in theory at least, if they would say the golden visa schemes can run on, do what you want to do, but then they just get a national passport. They don't get automatically an EU passport. And I think that the common rights of the EU, that's where the problem lies and where the issue of the EU lies with this. Essentially, it's fine to attract investors into your member state. We have no problem with that. But when you're selling access to our common goods, and this is something that impacts our states as well automatically, then you do not have a right to individually benefit from this without consulting us or at least letting us know what the heck is going on, who is getting these rights. I think that's key. People forget that there is something called an EU citizenship and that has been established in the very treaty on the European Union. There is a citizenship on top of your 
national citizenship with extra rights. It's basically just like an add-on to your citizenship that you can take with you. It's portable. Uh, wherever you go within the EU, get uh, the same rights as any other citizen in that country. And then piggybacking on that mm -hmm. by investing money, it feels really unfair. There's the issue, right? Because what you mentioned, Harpa, is that there would be no problem if this were, were national only. Mm -hmm. But in fact, the very point of EU citizenship is that it's complementary and alongside national citizenship, right? Yeah, that those exactly. Things, they're supposed to be dual. They're supposed mm -hmm. to go together. And that they are, in the idea, they're indivisible. Yeah. So there's the, there's the issue, right? How do you marry those two things if you want to say, okay, you can't... You can't be selling, you can't be uh, asking for investment for the citizenship because it automatically grants you to the rest. But at the same time, we can't, they cannot say, okay, well, you know, reverse to the time when it was only national citizenship or make an exception for these, uh, for these people. Yeah. Well, I have, a, I have a thought about that. Hit What's me. What's your thought? Well, Tell my, us. My thought, my thought is... Share. Because share the, impression, the impression Girlfriend. I get from the report that the commission is <laughs> issuing is that we need more transparency, we need stricter measures, we need to remind member states that any citizenship-granting decisions must be, must be made with due regard to the wider EU law. Uh, we need to prevent similar schemes from arising in candidate countries to the EU, blah, 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 blah. But my thought, especially as a third-country national, is... Why don't we push for a fairer process? Instead of making it more difficult for rich, wealthy people to become part of the EU, why don't we make it a little easier for regular folks to become part of the EU? Because something that I also find a little bit disturbing about this report is that it relies on notions like here and there that sound quite poetic, quite romantic, of totally. a meaningful uh, relationship between the applicant Genuine and connection. the member state. A genuine connection. What does that even it's mean? Totally <laughs> no. Right. Uh. Well, I mean, any of you who consulted or, uh, you know, Google quickly the citizenship test for your own country, I'm pretty sure you're going to fail probably if you grew up in the place. I, I so. would have failed. I, I would totally fail. I would but totally this fail. is how we quantify a genuine connection to the country, right? So I think um, if you look at citizenship overall, you can say there's about three three dimensions of citizenship. So the first one is the kind of legal status. So that's about the protection that you have as a citizen. Mm -hmm. uh, and the second one is more political. So that's really about your responsibilities. So actively participating in society. And, you yeah. know, states do this in different ways. Some say you must vote. Some don't oblige you to at all. But the third one, and here's the most interesting one, is this sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. um, if you look at history, I, I would say this is the kind of newest dimension of citizenship. Um, some say this has only really emerged since the Middle Ages, that we see citizenship really as belonging to a community. And of course, the fundamental basis of this is inequality, right? It's yeah. saying it's us versus them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is a little bit abstract, but, you know, how on earth do you do you define that part of the citizenship which is belonging? Um, you yeah. know, my citizenship, if I have to fill in a form, it's Great Britain, right? But I will always identify myself as Scottish. I was also thinking, like, about myself. I, I know that's very selfish. He but does that I, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I do that a lot. Uh, but I'm thinking, like, okay, I'm Victor. I'm Mexican. And I want to become a citizen of one of the 28 EU member states. Is there a procedure for me to do that? There isn't. There isn't? There isn't as such, no. Well, uh, if you're a resident for I'll tell you what, like years, the, blah, 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 right? Like the, like the EU member state would tell me, well, yeah, you just have to spend five years, right? You know, you have to reside here for five years. You have to prove that you speak the language, that you have been integrated in society, etc., etc. Then you can apply for citizenship, mm. right? But how do I get to spend five years in your territory? First, I have to request an extended visa, meaning a residence permit. And the only you way I can job, justify right? a residence permit is by either... Uh, being a student in that country for five years or working in that country or getting married to someone from that country or maybe applying for uh, refugee status in that country. Mm -hmm. There is no other way. Around. There is no standard procedure for me to just say like, hey, I would like to become Belgian. What do I do? First, I have to pass some sort of pre-selection test. And the people who actually can afford to spend five years in one of the EU member states before applying for citizenship, don't do it because they feel a meaningful connection with that country. They do it because they're in love or because they're in need or because they have a job there. So the moment they apply for citizenship, I don't see any meaningful way of proving that they have a genuine connection 
with the country. They have a genuine connection with their partner. Maybe they have an important job there. Maybe they were fleeing their country because they were in harsh conditions there, because they were political refugees. I don't know. But I just don't feel that the regular procedure is a fair procedure. Just to come in there, this is something which I really wanted to look at in terms of, okay, we can say, I think in terms of the practicalities of these, of these golden visas and passports, it's not going well, right? We're looking at serious instances of corruption, um, of uh, money laundering, etc. But when we look at the idea of it, we're fairly willing to accept all sorts of other arbitrary measures of uh, of connection or of value to the country in, in exchange for citizenship or for residence, right? So yeah. we can say you have exceptional talent, so we'll grant you citizenship. We yeah. can say we need this type of labor for our labor market, so we'll we'll yeah. uh, grant you this. Um, or you know, also, or we'll say, uh, yeah, you fell in love with someone from our from our country, so we'll grant you it. And what you mentioned there, Victor, is that especially if you're coming from somewhere you know f farther afield, if you have the means to be here in the first place, and not because you are displaced, but because, for example, you came here for a job, does this not? just replicate those existing inequalities. So I we think say, it does. Yeah. Right, exactly. You cannot buy citizenship. But actually, if you are a talented programmer and you can come and work in one of our companies here, then great. But are you not much more likely to be a talented programmer if you've already come from a wealthy background? Of course. Know, so. Like yeah. membership is only open to those who have been lucky enough. And this brings me to a second point. What if we could freely choose what our nationality is or what country we feel we belong to? You know, Because when you are born, you don't choose to be Mexican or Scottish or an Icelander. It's the ultimate inequality, right? It's, it's given entirely to you by chance. And it yeah. comes, you know, with tons of rights and obligations that you never chose to have. And the only people that are really aware of this, right, are those that move, right? So of course. we know because we are outside of our country and those that are displaced, no, because you have had an interaction with the feeling of, okay, what does it mean to be a citizen of my country? What does it mean to be a citizen of another country? But actually, if you spend most of your life in your, in your own country, as actually the majority of the world do, right? Yeah. You never interact with this. You never have to properly reflect on it. And, you know, should you? Is it important? Indeed. There is a myth of a special relationship of good faith between a citizen and his country. And that is taking a big leap. I would just like think like, okay, let's leave that myth aside. Let's also, you know, do away with all these concerns of the European institutions about fraud, about money laundering, about corruption, because if they really wanted to tackle those issues, the first thing they would do is to tackle offshore companies. Exactly. The totally. tax havens. The yeah. Tax havens, man. You are too much focused on the money, possibly illegal money that is coming in through these golden schemes into the EU. What about the all the EU money out. that is leaving the EU, exactly. the trillions of dollars yeah. that African countries are losing out on yeah, because yeah, yeah. European investors decide to stash away their uh, exactly. wealth in offshore companies that go unnoticed. Yeah. Com like, offshore companies have no nationality. That's why I was kind of surprised when I was reading that report that the main concern seemed to have to do with money laundering and tax evasion. But for me, this is uh, tackling deeper issues than that. And then I also think... Isn't that a bit of an ineffective way to tackle corruption and tax evasion? Aren't there bigger fish out there that we have to go after of first? The Tax Justice Network, year by year, publishes the Financial Secrecy Index, a general check of the legal framework that a given country has and how likely it is that citizens living there might get away with tax evasion. And guess what? In the top 10 countries are two countries of the EU. It's not Bulgaria, it's not Cyprus, it's not Malta. It's Germany and Luxembourg. Wow. And then there is also Switzerland. Switzerland is actually number one in the world. Mm. So I think there is also a myth there that it's these, you know, islands in the Caribbean that help people stash away their money. Mm. Remember the Panama Papers, yeah, I, 2015? Oh. <laughs> Panama I remember the Panama Papers. You remember the Panama Papers. Oh, Iceland yeah. was there. I was uh, there. And how many Europeans <laughs> well, were personally. involved in Panama Papers? Most, Most of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, our prime minister was uh, a dear customer, and I protested to get him out of power. But you guys jailed all your bankers, right, in Iceland? Or, uh... Uh, well, yeah, most of them, yeah. But uh, we elected some uh, tax haven uh, kings <laughs> after we did that, so we came full circle and we started back right, to square one. I think uh, this 
it's only a couple of weeks since we had this speech from uh, this Dutch historian called Rutger, Bred- Rutger Bregman in was Davos, it? right? So yeah, in Davos, yes. Forum. Oh and my he God, says, that was know, so good. Right, so he, the guy says, we can talk about philanthropy, we yeah. can talk about ways to change the world, mm. we can invite Bono, but my can God, we talk all about, about the taxes? taxes? Right? Yeah, and let's talk about it. I'm furious. Well, I mean, but it's what, a bit out of the scope of what this can episode, we do about it? What can we do about we, this? We need to get the, tax the ultra wealthy and make sure that they don't just stash their money away. Can you imagine the world that we're living in? Oh my god! Now I'm getting emotional. Imagine that I have that I am part of that zero point zero one percent, and I have billions, billions in my bank account, both inshore and offshore. Now, why would I care about getting EU citizenship? How is that helping me if I can comfortably stash away all my money in secret? If you secret, have billions you know, of dollars, havens. then you own the fucking world. You I don't own the need world. To I don't care about EU borders. I don't. Yeah. I don't care about Sorry, anything. I swear it. My wallet can buy me entrance anywhere. But yeah. here's the thing, right? So, actually, um, apart from these golden visa citizenships and golden visas and citizenships, everything in the world moves freely, right? So we have free movement of goods, data, information, but still people are pretty immobile in general. And even if you are very wealthy, imagine if you're traveling through airports with a different kind of passport, right? I mean, you probably have some experience with this. So I can see why still in a practical measure, you would be interested in it. Mm. And let's say if you're ultra wealthy and you need to put 800,000 euros in, it's a drop in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. But then if you are getting a passport just to be able to go over border control in a more easy way, you are not getting it so you can hide your assets. You're buying it for practical reasons. So then the arguments that the European institutions are putting behind this whole scheme, I think they're a little bit naive. From what I saw doing my in-depth research, which consisted of me Googling for 30 minutes, uh, it seems like this is mainly being sold as like a luxury travel opportunity to wealthy people. Like, hey, why don't you get an EU passport? It's so convenient. Even for Kits and Nevis and the Caribbean. It's like, get a convenient passport for 100 countries. Uh, Make your travel easier. Expand on your passport. Have two, have three. It's so good for you rich people. My question then to you would be, what password are you going to get now? Now so that I'm ultra rich? Maltese, Cypriot, or uh, Bulgarian? Well, Bulgaria is not part of Schengen yet, so you actually get a Bulgarian passport still. You will get an EU passport later, right? No, it's it's you still have a Bulgarian passport either way. It's just one of them. Uh, certain countries will also have Schengen uh, Ah, uh, okay. So, for example, in the UK, we have that still, right? We're we're UK. We're still Never still mind. part of the EU. Okay, but we're but not part of Schengen area, which means we have to, for example, show a passport on the internet. Okay, or so you get that version of a passport. It's not an EU passport, but it's a passport with an EU access element, right? Yeah, but to guys, it. the best Never passport mind. in the world. Did you do you know what it is? Uh, German. Singapore. Is it? No yeah, way. I thought so. Singapore. Yeah, Belgium's pretty good as well. I'm going yeah. to Singapore then. I don't know where Iceland ranks. Where does Mexico rank? You get to go to two countries. <laughs> Man, there is a wall being built around Mexico. Uh. I don't think our passport can take us too far. <laughs> but let's end on this note. Let's stack the ultra-rich. Let's do away with uh, naive arguments. And let's focus on what really matters. Okay. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> If you like the content of this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. If you enjoy listening to EU Untangled, the best way to help it grow bigger, better and greater is by sharing it with your friends and leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For constant updates, you can also follow EU Untangled on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And make sure you check out our awesome website, podworld.org untangled. You'll find tons of interesting information in the show notes and a lot of cool links. See you next time. Okay, so one thing that... No, forget about it. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Slanche. Slanche? Slanche. Scottish Gaelic for oh. cheers. Slanche. Mm. Did I say right? Slanche. Slanche. Ooh, I like that. It's like, it's like a badass way of saying lunch, but like, let's go for slanche. Let's go for slanche. Okay. Tomorrow, like guys? Yes! yes. <laughs> We're so hey, coordinated. Clearly, clearly, we're already tipsy. But Are you uh, recording? Yes. Oh, God. Okay. okay. We've been talking about how to get EU citizenship, or rather how to buy it. 
Then I decided to look into my own country and see what it takes to become a Mexican. Do tell. If you want to become a Mexican of the United States of Mexico, you have to, number one, renounce your citizenship. Ah, You can't have a double nationality. Uh, Well, if you are Mexican by birth, you can't have more than one nationality. But if you are foreigner and you want to become Mexican, you have to officially renounce your nationality. Really interesting, Mm. because that's also at the member state level in the EU, right? So some, like in Holland, in Netherlands, you have to renounce your other citizenship. But uh, France and UK, you can be double. Yeah, Yeah. Same, same same in Germany and same in Austria. Belgium too. Well, okay. Okay, so step one, renounce step own one, citizenship. Step one, renounce your own citizenship. Step, step two, two, learn how to speak Spanish. Step number three, get some knowledge of Mexican culture. Number four, become integrated to national culture. And number five, reside in Mexico for at least five years. Now, the way they prove that you're integrated to national culture... That was going to be my question. How do you prove that? that you have knowledge of the Mexican culture is by taking an exam that All consists right. of 100 multiple choice questions. Ooh. So I was immediately super intrigued about this exam because I wanted to make some of these questions to you and see if you have what it takes to become Mexican. <gasps> I'm so excited. Okay, tell us. That's my All dream. right, so... Shouldn't where... you ask us in Spanish? Oh, do you speak Spanish? No. Uh, no. But we're going to see if we can pass the test. No, never mind. Uh, yeah, Ask so us in English. Where, where do you find the... No, where... where <laughs> Lisa, not. The pyramids. <laughs> she would fail. She's not. I've had okay. too much wine. Let's, let's start over again. <laughs> okay. Do you have what it takes <laughs> to become Mexican? Woo! Where are the pyramids of the sun and the moon? In that place you were over Christmas. Yes. <laughs> and you put pictures on Instagram. Correct. A. Palenque. B. Chichen Itza, C, Teotihuacan, D, Uxmal. Teotihuacan. That's correct, Josh. I'm halfway there. Okay, next question, uh, Rose. Oh, no. <laughs> you should have warned me on this. I would have studied. Oh, my God. I don't even know how to. Okay, I'm, just for the record, I'm translating on the spot, okay? You're so not this is not drunk. easy. He's an interpreter. <laughs> I'm interpreting, yeah. Okay, so uh, Mesoamerican people feed mostly on A, potato, B, Wheat, C, rice, D, corn. Well, I know that potatoes originate in Latin America, right? I mean, we claim them as like uh, Irish things or something from, from Western Europe. But so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that. Do you agree, Sharps? I was going to go with corn. Corn would be the But second my choice. second guess would have been potato. <laughs> that well, was the only two options. The right guess is corn. So hey. you're acing these, Harpa. Oh my God. I right, feel like so I'm practically Harpa, Mexican. Are you ready to renounce your Icelandic citizenship? I'm so question. ready. Let's see if you stay on the right track. Where is Acapulco? Is it in the Pacific Ocean? Is it in the Gulf of Mexico? In the Atlantic Ocean? Or in the Caribbean Sea? The Atlantic Ocean. Rose? Okay. Here, I'm going to dodge the question and give you some interesting information about uh, about Scottish climate, which is about 10 degrees warmer than it should be because of Gulf streams, which come from Mexico. So we're the first landmass which is warmed by your heat. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> that was so random. Uh, thank you. Thank I you. feel like even if, regardless Let's of whether I was Scotland. right or not, her answer wins. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you're granted Mexican citizenship. I think she should be, get yeah, a fast track. So Do you want to so have ready. some uh, British citizenship questions? Uh, absolutely. I would love to. Okay, so um, the first question is, what was the last battle between Great Britain and France? A, the Battle of Trafalgar. B, the Battle of Waterloo. C, the Battle of Hastings. Or D, the Battle of Agincourt. Hastings. I'm going to go for Trafalgar because it sounds cool. Let's see. Um, it's actually the Battle of Waterloo. Neither was it correct. Be- oh, what? No. I was there the other day. They have a lion on top of the hill. It's In very picturesque. That's what you learned about Waterloo, that they have a lion on top. Yeah, it's just I didn't go to the museum, obviously. <laughs> I just looked at the mountain. And that's why you will never become a British citizen. I mean, that's good riddance. unfortunately, in these days, that's not that much of an attractive, uh, attractive <laughs> okay, he- proposal in any case. Hit us up with another yeah. question. The next is, which flower is associated with whales? That's not whales, but whales. <laughs> the oh, country. Right. Uh, whales. whales. Yeah. A, the daffodil. B, the rose. Not <gasps> me, the flower. Um, C, the shamrock. Or D, the thistle. The rose. Uh, I don't know what the I'm fourth gonna, one is. Like thistle? The thistle, that's the flower of Scotland. 
Oh, hi. God, oh so I've you just so gave away the answer? For you. Sorry, can no, you whales. Oh, okay. She so I was, I, I'm so right. Yeah. I guess thistle, but now I'm going to change my ass answer it's to daffodil. It's a rose. Okay, I'm going to tell you the answer. It's a daffodil. Correct. Ah, nice. It's also the national mm. flower of Iceland. Okay, next. Or okay, really? Anyways. Right. During the reign of Charles II, <laughs> parts of <laughs> London were destroyed. What was the cause of this destruction? The Tower of London? A. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> Come again? <laughs> You're just throwing out random English terms to me. No. <laughs> Toast. The, the queen? Mate. Marmite? <laughs> Marmite. <laughs> Crumpets? Pudding? Yorkshire pudding? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, okay, never mind. Let's talk about Icelandic citizenship. What yeah. do you have to do? Yeah. Can well, we become I- Icelanders? I don't have. I don't think that you actually have to take a test. If there is a test, I'm not aware of it. I took a quick look at the law, but I can tell you, you have to have lived there for seven years. Pretty high. It's five seven years. years. Right? Seven wow. years, baby. You have to submit uh, recommendations from two Icelandic citizens, and they cannot be closely connected to you. Could be an employer or somebody you know in your neighborhood or a friend or something. And two citizens, that's like 10% of the population, right? Almost, yeah. I think it's like 10, 12%. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to attest that you are well it's integrated into a society. Yeah, And they're like, I already called Johnny. He's busy and Mark is in Spain. So <laughs> what did <laughs> I do? Like, Harpa, tell us the real Icelandic names. Come on, they are not Johnny or Mark. <laughs> yeah, why do you say that? <laughs> well, you can say Jón or Marcus. That's right. two uh, Icelandic names. That sounds better. Uh, never mind. But then, uh, yeah, you have to prove that you're fluent in Icelandic. Aren't we all? I think, I think most of us are, Yol, yes. Yow. Yow. Rosie's totally fluent. She's getting there. Uh, you have to show that you can support yourself. You have to show that you don't have a criminal record, and you have to submit an uh, well. They oh, do an investigation. Rosie, you're out of you're out Rosie's of the race. out, guys. Please, <laughs> on our way here, I, I I found an abandoned handbag on my bike, full of a. Uh, Money, bashed up phones, and I'm worried I'm going to get into trouble with the law, which is not good with Brexit. It's a start. I feel like that is the start of a Taggart's mystery. He's Scottish, right? Taggart, right, exactly. Well, it's a murder. (laughs) That has been a murder. That's not bad. I don't know what's going on anymore. I'm going to submit that as a question for a British citizenship. I think, like, pronounce murder. If you don't get it right, then you're out. Can you say murder? Well, the Taggart version is there's been a murder. There's been a, there's a been a murder. A murder. The same way that what's your favorite word? A garals. Gettle. A garals. Gettle. And Gettle. what? What is my favorite word? <laughs> why it's garals? Well, you know what? what? This is uh, this is why we complain about being mocked and marginalized <laughs> as Scottish people. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, okay, let's call this a day. Okay. 